Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 36 of the Screen Bucket Podcast. Yes, and we're halfway through January. Yes, halfway through January. How's your New Year's resolutions going, Rob? Up in flames. Oh dear. Um, but uh, so I failed uh, my dry January uh, yesterday. You told me today that that was the right day to fail on. Yeah, well, yeah. So yesterday was... We recording on Saturday. Yeah. Friday just gone was National Ditch Your Resolutions Day. Thus I did. Off, uh, off it went. Yeah. Wow. Wasn't worth it. Two weeks. Two weeks of agony. Do you know what? It wasn't even that bad. And now I feel gross. Mentally weak. <laughs> and I think... Oh, Drinking. What always amazes me, because you do it a couple times a year, I'd say. You have a little detox. Right. But when you stop doing it, you really go mad. Yeah, well, you, no half measures. You, gotta, you, know. you had a pint at lunch yesterday, or on Friday. Yeah. And then more, then shots. Yeah. Then you bought beer, and yeah. you came home, and you kept drinking. Then you went out. Yeah. Yeah, it just went, it just descended into chaos, which is alcoholism, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's done. Got to move past it. I've got to drink next weekend as well. Um, I have to. Do I hear the words I'm saying? This is this is a drunk. This is a drunk talking. The words of a drunk. But yeah, I don't know. I think alcohol is, is slowly becoming less appealing to me, and that it's a, yesterday was a prime example. You seem to have, be having fun. I don't now. Now I feel crap. Now I feel like a, a husk again. Oh dear. Oh well, you lasted two weeks. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Well, it's better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. What have you been doing anyway, apart from? Um, I. Um, I've watched Harry Potter one and two last weekend. Okay. That was nice. Trip down memory lane. Yeah. Film special to my heart. Um, we we've both watched 1917. Yes. Which I thought was an absolute masterpiece. We'll talk a bit more on that later, I think. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, 1917 was awesome. And weirdly local connection, but yes, we'll we'll cover that shortly. Uh, you've been playing Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Making I, lots of noises. I've been screaming a lot. Um, but I completed it yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh. Um, quick. Last boss is really really easy. I and remember then, it being much longer than that. I've been playing quite a lot. I've been playing it a lot. The last boss was really easy. He, um, Lord Sadler turns into a four-legged um, eyeball beast. <laughs> yes, that's right. Runs around on top of this like crane helicopter pad thing, and eventually Ada Wong tosses you a rocket launcher when you've shot him in the leg enough times and stabbed him in the enough times, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you just fire the rocket launcher at him and you win. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, cool. They're not. They might be remaking it at some point, won't they? I'm sure they will. It's They're the best on one. Now. Yeah, exactly. It's the best one. It's the only one I would play again, I think. Definitely. Although, apparently the last one was remastered. Was apparently, it was really brilliant. scary. Have you ever played five co-op? No. So, as far as co-op games go, Resident Evil 5 is one of the best co-op games I've ever played, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, really nice. enjoyable. Wow. Yes, indeed. Well, I've, uh, I've been editing the last week's solid... I've done nothing else. Uh, getting trying to get quaggers finished. Yeah, tell me about the uh, hand. Oh, mate, we'll talk a bit about the pain of special effects and after effects later on. But having to painstakingly draw a path around a hand that's moving. So you draw a path, and then you change the next frame, then you draw it again in the next frame, 
do it again, then you net spray me, do it again, and then the net spray me, do it again. Mate! Literally, the first day of uh, editing was that solid for eight hours of drawing a path around a hand. Yeah, I didn't have you. But, here's the thing, while doing that, it's meant I've managed to catch up on loads of TV. Oh, fantastic. So, I finally finished Happy. Oh, good. Because Happy Series, we were really excited for Happy Series 2. Uh, then a bit disappointed. Uh, so I managed to actually finish that. Uh, do you know what? The ending was much better than the opening. I do. Still, I think I'm. I think I'm off. I think I'm off the boat. I don't care. Yeah, it's sad. It's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, the ending. Uh, what it? I think what the issue is. So the first series is about an alcoholic, uh, drug-addled maniac trying to save his daughter it's all very trippy and hallucinogenic and neon coloured and stuff uh, but the first, the second series isn't like that because he's on the wagon right he only starts drinking again like two thirds of the way through and then it goes chaotic again right so it's a lot of build up in series 2 and then it at the very end goes back to what you loved in the first series which is a bit like mm. oh, that's what I need a recap for if I could just skip all of the crap and then go yeah. Go into that, that'll be good. Yes, I've also been binging Men Behaving Badly because that's on Netflix, which is more, possibly the best Britcom ever, I think. Oh, I could never get into it. I think. I think one of the characters, Tony, is so you. Oh, I think that's yeah. why you need to watch it again. Someone said that to me before. I think I may have said it yeah. as well. There's bits when you're like, that's wrong. <laughs> So yeah, I think, I, it, yes, it's all on Netflix, all worth watching. I'm surprised it's not on Britbox or whatever. Oh no, but have, have you got that? No, but apparently it's a bit, a bit of a letdown, I've heard. Because it's, it's the BBC and ITV combination, isn't it? Yes. I don't so, like anything that ITV has ever done, ever. Uh, Probably loads of exceptions, but I just... Mm. Yeah. I, there's loads of good stuff that I haven't watched, like Broadchurch. Apparently that was brilliant. Right. Never saw it. Um... Uh, soaps and that, isn't it, ITV? Yeah, they do lots of costume drama, don't they? That's yeah. Down, Downton Abbey, is that ITV? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, who knows? Well, know. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's released in America to bring all the British box sets and stuff, like including like League of Gentlemen and Maybe Badly. But over here, Netflix has got all that. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe they're waiting for the licenses to all come back. Yeah. But yeah. There'll be a purge, won't there? Yes. It's like Netflix is being hacked apart to make life more expensive and more annoying oh yeah it's horrible isn't it I'm just going to mooch off of people I need to yeah I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to subscribe to anything I'm just going to mooch off of other people's accounts <laughs> oh, God. I you're the worst type of person no you know what why humanity. should why should any of them have my money if they can't organise themselves to have one affordable way to get everything why should I give any of them money wow. screw them be different if our stuff's on there, though, wouldn't it? Uh, if our stuff was on there, uh, yeah, sign up to Netflix, 100%. <laughs> Fact. I don't want to put them off. Yeah, forget that, Netflix. <laughs> You're incredible, and I love you. Oh, forget Netflix. All about Amazon Prime. Or Amazon Prime. Whichever one gives us money. Yes. Whichever one gives us money, we love. Selling out is its not an issue. It's the point, isn't it? I... We will be selling out straight away. <laughs> if there's a big, if there's any sort of big check waved in our face, we're yes, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As long as we get something from yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I want money. I want money too. Anyway, what have we got on the show coming up for you? Okay, so in light of um, 
multiple national disasters, um, international disasters. Yes. Um, we decided to go a darker route with our film choice and go for The Impossible. Yes. Uh, 2012. So we'll be delving into that film very shortly. Um, we've got Fortnite Schmort Night to go through. We're going to be going through. We've got some very interesting post-production stuff to go through. Things we're discovering as we draw to the end of our Quagga's journey. Mmm, indeed. begin the promotional journey. There's a lot of... Um, Brand new hills we have to climb. Yes, lots more money to go lots, out, lots, out of the house. Lots more money. It's so annoying. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, if you're, you know, British and looking to create your own film, or anyone listening, just listen to that because you'll probably learn some things and be prepared more than we were. Yes. Hooray. You can um, look at some trailers as well and talk a little bit more about 1917. Yes, 100%. Great. Let's get to that. Yes, let's go. Straight in. Green Bucket, Adam and Rob. 1917. Wow, 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 wow. Sam Mendes smashed it out of the park. Yeah, you came back, having watched 1917, frothing with uh, excitement. I, it was one of those things, it felt, it didn't just feel like a movie for me, it felt like an absolute spectacle. Like the, the cinematography in some of the bits, like especially in the ruined city... And the trenches and no man's lands, like all of the film was just, I was just absorbed by it. And obviously it was very much helped by the illusion of a single shot movie. Yeah, it's funny that, because the illusion was quite quickly broken, I thought. You're not, did you, did that annoy you? It did a bit, because it was very much like I was watching it with my sister and I'm not sure if she caught on. To some of the shots we talked about it afterwards like there's some bits where like well that's obviously where they cut it oh i thought yeah i didn't care about that i, I just let them get away with it in my head mentally. okay i was okay. like yes cool whatever i thought you were talking about when there's a scene where the actor has a little sleepy um to show you know when he gets into the building he has a shootout doesn't he oh yeah. German yeah, yeah 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 and um a lot of people online i saw especially on reddit were complaining that um it broke up the tension for them that they were immersed in this journey and then all of a yeah, sudden yeah i i can see what they're talking about actually because it did feel very much like need to do this need to do this and do this oh we're doing this oh we're here we're here we're here uh. and then wake up again yeah i know yeah i can see that i can see the argument but i think obviously they had to create a mechanic to pass the time because they you know they wanted to go for well, yes. night and day because it's often can't all happen what know. is they i'm pretty sure one of the characters says early on it's going to take eight hours to get there yeah and he travelled through the night and in the morning and stuff. So unless they had... They could have done some sort of metaphor of time passing, have him lent up against the wall with a window behind him maybe, and then you see stars whizzing by and then night turning into day. Yeah, yeah. They could have done something like that. I don't know what else they could have done. In my eyes, it was a necessity, and I didn't... I, you know, I was happy to give it a benefit of doubt. I think um, I wasn't as blown away. I'm not going to spoil too much because my review's going to be coming up after this, but... Mm, other war films have had more of an impact on me. Right. I think, that, as you say, the spectacle's right. It was a big... It was a spectacle film. Hmm. I don't think there was enough in it for me to get me... Uh, fair play. To, to really, like... Like, the best example I can think of is Fury, uh, which horrified me. Like, I walked away from Fury going, oh my god, the war was awful. I think Fury was a lot more grim. There's, you know, people getting run over by tanks and body parts yes. flying up in the air. It's a lot more brutal. I sort of walked away from that going, oh, I never want to go to war. <laughs> Whereas 1917, I was like, 
yeah, okay, great. Really? Yeah, I didn't have a that strong a mm. feeling about it. It does, but it, yeah, it looks amazing in the spectacle. There's one bit that's in the trailer when he's running at the camera and all the men coming up. Shouldn't have been in the trailer at all. No, I thought that. Mm. Actually, the trailer spoils a lot. The trailer spoils a huge amount. Um, but there's a couple of bits in there where he fell in, he knocked into people, they all fell over. Yeah. Apparently, all accidental. It was all choreographed. He wasn't supposed to hit into people. It's mental. But he did <laughs> twice. Um, the first time I didn't get up. I didn't remember thinking. Yeah, he at the just time. stayed there. I was like, mm, it's a bit. Why didn't he stand up again? But on reflection, if I was a coward, if I was me, I just stay. stay I would down. definitely stay down. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that way's where the Germans are. <laughs> That's true. I'm gonna crawl back to the trenches. Yeah. No, it's um the, the mechanically the way the film was put together and the the set construction is wonderful. Like. The way they built all the trenches. They must have built the entire network of they trenches. They did. It was like 1,700 or so feet of trenches or something like that. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, or meters even. I can't remember what the stat the, was. Um, and the, the, even No Man's Land was so like... That's what No Man's Land was like. Just buried half-rotten bodies yeah, and horses oh. and things like that. Yeah, it was, oh, well, Really, really impressive. Really impressive. Although I'm not... There's CGI animals. The rat. The rat was so bad. The rat was really bad. The cows. Yeah. The cows were bad. The flies were bad. The flies mm. on the horses looked animated, like drawn on. I don't know. There's a few bits like, eh, why did you do that? The rat was was like um, early noughties CGI level. It looked like it could be in, a, in Harry Potter. It looked like it could have been it, like it, a, I got a, Harry a Potter bad vibe creature off it. Just yeah. swinging around. And, he, and the actor's looking at it going, oh, look at this rat. And you can see that it's just not happening. Yeah, yeah. And that, the rat, in fact, was my biggest gripe with the film. I came out and the first thing that I said to my brother was, <laughs> I didn't like that rat. Yeah, yeah. But still, mm. yeah, incredible film. Tell us about Sam Mendes. The, at the end of the film, there's a tribute to Alfred Mendes, who was the director Sam Mendes' uh, grandfather, attributing the stories to him, saying thank you for all the stories you told during the war. Um, so it turns out a lot of this stuff was pieced together from different stories that Alfred had talked about. Alfred, as it turns out, it's from Hitchin. Madness. He went to Hitchin Boys School. Absolutely crazy. That's ridiculous. So all, what you're watching on 1917, presumably, is following a guy who knew Hitchin. That's absolutely mad, isn't it? That's so cool. What a cool little thing. Mm. Which is weird then that they filmed up in Yorkshire and Scotland, but whatever. Wiltshire and all that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, really interesting. And Sam Mendes, I think, is actually connected to Hitchin himself. Yeah, didn't he get married in your village? In my parents' village, Perton. Yes. So, yeah. Ooh. Crazy, crazy. Uh, my, uh, someone was saying to me, he was talking on the TV about how his um, granddad, Alfred Mendes, used to always rub his hands, and it was a habit he picked up trying to get all of the dirt and the horrible things off his hands in the trenches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just yeah. picked up this horrible habit, and it makes you think about, you're yes. in that environment for such a long amount of time, how do you get used to it? What sort of horrible little quirks do you pick up what happens when you put your hand for a German isn't it yes ooh that's horrible just after he cut it I laughed out loud yeah. laughed out loud at that brilliant film anyway let's hear my review Adam's Film Reviews 1917 2019 in your own time gentlemen must be something big if the channel's here you have a brother in the 2nd Battalion yes sir they're walking into a trap your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. 
We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Directed by Sam Mendes, 1917 tells an epic, semi-true story of two young British soldiers during the First World War on a mission to deliver a message, cancelling an order to attack to a British colonel to stop a massacre on the front lines. The mission falls on Lance Corporal Tom Blake and Lance Corporal Will Schofield, chosen as Blake has a brother in the Devonshire Regiment, whose orders are to attack the retreating German lines at dawn the following day. Unfortunately for the Devonshires, the retreat by the Germans is nothing less than a tactical withdrawal to more fortified lines. In short, if the Devonshires attack, they'll find they're massively outgunned by a much stronger German defence, which will likely leave the entire regiment wiped out. Desperate to save his brother, Blake hurtles off immediately, despite Schofield's warning, to wait until night falls to set off. In no time at all, Blake and Schofield are navigating the British trenches and set out across no man's land a harrowing, nightmarish landscape full of bodies, wasted lives and barbed wire. Lots of barbed wire. Along the way, the men are greeted by the tired, bitter faces of their comrades, who wish them well, but are so used to death and destruction they see little point to the mission. As we follow Blake and Schofield, the audience are taken on a whistle-stop tour of the sights and sounds of trench wharf and... Full credit goes to the production designers, who must have constructed miles and miles of scenery, landscapes and, obviously, trenches. In fact, I suspect the whole production must have been as intense and enormous as organising a real-life war, with some scenes including up to 500 background extras alone. The story itself was inspired by tales told by writer-director Sam Mendes' grandfather, Alfred Mendes, who himself was a messenger during the First World War. This fact alone elevates material to something that, at its core, holds something very, very real to it, and it's easy to see where the influence and passion for realism comes from. This is in part thanks to the decision to shoot the whole film to appear as if it was shot in one take, making the tension feel very real as we follow Blake, and particularly Schofield, as they navigate one danger after another. As one member of the audience behind me put it, 1917 is the most stressed I've ever been in a film. I don't often mention the cinematography in my reviews, but this is a film but this is a film that deserves some recognition of this. Cinematographer Roger Deakins is a miracle maker, and the sheer effort crammed into every frame of 1917 should be recognised for what it is. Incredible. The soundtrack too goes a long way to driving the tension, and yes, stress throughout the film. But with all this said and done, 1917 lacked something for me. The story for what it is is very straightforward with the only sign of development in its characters shown by the small moments of human interaction, particularly towards the end of the film. That highlights the desperation shown and not told by the actions of our heroes. 1917 deserves your love and admiration, but as a war film, or even as a film highlighting what the serving men had to go through, it lacked what other films have accomplished. As a spectacle, this is flawless, and should probably be shown in schools, if for no other reason than to highlight the misery and relentless carnage that the greatest generation had to go through. If you want to see 1917, see it on the big screen. If you're not already interested, 
I'm not sure you'll get much out of it. Mademoiselle, would you like to have a film discussion? Oh yes, Monsieur. I would love to have an in-depth film discussion with you, like they do on Scream Bucket. Director J.A. Bayoma, possibly. Uh, the Impossible was a 2012 film based on the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. Pretty grim. The Impossible won loads and loads of awards. You'd never heard of it, Rob. I remember, do you know what, um, when I watched it, I remember the trailers more than the name, but the name completely slipped my mind. The Impossible is a bit of a vague name, isn't it? So vague, yeah. But, God, what a story. And I remember I remember the news when it was on, even like 16 years ago, I remember this happening. Yeah, me too. I remember uh, it must have been Christmas Day, Boxing Day. There was a video of that, the, the you know, yeah. initial wave hitting somewhere, and it looked, oh, it's just words can't even describe. Grim, grim day, and there was... Huge death tolls, footage on the news for days. Um, I think particularly because it was over Christmas as well. I think that added to the the horror of it. But yes, this film came out. So Naomi Watts, Ewan McGregor, and a young Tom Holland. His debut role, his first feature film. So um, yeah, and he was he did a very good job actually, young Tom Holland. I think he got nominated for a few awards himself as did well. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Hmm. So yes, what happens in the impossible? So we got the Bennett family, um, and the director specifically didn't give them a nationality going in. He wanted this to be internationally accessible, so we could all make a connection with these people across the world. Um, so it's Christmas Eve when they initially fly over. Um, we start off with a jet engine roaring in. The reasoning they chose the jet engine is because uh, the woman in the family, in real life, she compared the initial sound of that wave hitting mm. to the sound of a jet, which is terrifying. But yes, it should be pointed out, the Bennett family are uh, based exclusively on a real-life family that survived the the tsunami. Yeah, and it's very true. Like, it's very true to what happened, as yeah, far as it, true stories go. The uh, They had the actual family members with them, with the actors, giving them tips as they went, which is crazy. And the uh, the mum uh, even said that the biggest lie in the film is that the, the ball that the kids play with was yellow, not red. Absolutely mad. That's shocking. Insane. But yes... They had a real, um, like, sort of survivors from it as extras as well. Yeah, I heard that. Um, but yeah, anyway, they're playing, uh, you know, we get introduced to the lives of the family a bit. Uh, the, the couple are having some form of um, discussion about where they're going to move, are they going to lose a job. Um, serious family stuff, which I think is put in there to, like, kind of show you how trivial things can be to the big picture. Yeah. When, when something... I think that's maybe what they were trying to aim for. It felt for. a bit weird, because the opening... I said at the time, it felt like the opening of Casualty. Yeah. It was very, very conscious that there was something about to happen. Mm. Something was about to go wrong. Lots of shots of the ocean. Mm. Lots of shots of uh, Naomi Watts looking worried and not being able to sleep and stuff. Where And then you had these family bits added on to sort of make you empathise with them. 
and also, yeah, as you say, show the bigger picture. But at the same time, it's a bit like, eh, either get to it straight away mm. or give us more time to get to know this family, I thought. Yeah, yeah, no, maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. It just felt very much like... Yeah. <laughs> but yes. So uh, there's one morning, uh, Boxing Day, um, they've, they're playing by the pool, and um, the wave hits, and but it starts with a power cut. Um, the, one of the ladies yes, the notices blender. that her cocktail blender is stopped yeah, working. Yeah, yeah. And then the birds are flying overhead, and slowly people are starting to notice something's up here. There's animals crying in the distance. And then the first visual thing you see is palm trees in the distance just collapsing at a massive speed. Mm-hmm. Getting closer and closer and closer, and then smash, this huge wave hits. Which I believe you said was um, it was filmed in Spain, but it was this big tank. They made a massive scale model of this hotel resort, and then a massive water tank. They just just sent streaming through the model, yeah, tearing it apart. It was so expensive they could only do that shot once, yeah. Um, and it's so the impact is ridiculous because you're kind of watching it going, yeah, yeah, family, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. oh, oh my god. Massive wave of dirty water just brushing away all this hotel, resort, furniture and buildings. It's terrifying. And it hits and the, that's the last you see of, um, well, of Ewan McGregor's character at that point. Um, it sort of turns to chaos. It turns to chaos and all of a sudden it's water. Naomi Watts is, uh, she's spinning around in the water. She can't get up to the air. Um She's on her own, and she's no. She she comes up at a palm tree, doesn't she? she the next time we see her, she's latched onto a palm tree, screaming, screaming, yeah, screaming and wailing like in a horrendously traumatic way, which is horrible. And then uh, she notices her son Lucas is being carried along by the current, and then there's this very long, painful scene of them oh, trying to reach each other, but they can't quite so make it. Tense that whole bit, just reaching for each other, grabbing hold of things, floating past them. Yeah, it's. The, there's not much talk about how they've recorded that bit because that bit felt really real as well. I couldn't notice a single CGI thing about it. It all looks hugely real, and you watch her get absolutely ripped apart by trees under the oh. water. That's the most. I mean, it's not the most. It gets worse in the movie. Other things happen, but the the idea of being underwater and having sort of humanity's metal creations just turning into shards and trees sticking out and getting impaled oh, things and scratched and there's one bit when a second wave comes and lucas is sent under he dives under the water to save himself and then just gets hit from every angle by furniture and things and things and it just it's just endless and you're just like oh god absolutely- water's terrifying man yeah it is when you think of it like that and you think of especially we've kind of if any in any area where flooding could occur, we've booby-trapped it to kind of make it 10,000 time, 10, well, times yeah. worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, did I dream it? Or was there a bit when a car goes past and there's a screaming baby in it? Yeah. I don't know if there's... I didn't see a screaming baby. I saw you don't see past. it, you hear oh, it. Oh, that's horrible. It is horrible. But that's like as bad as it gets during that sequence. I think there... I don't know whether it held back slightly. Mm. Because 1917... There's a bit when he's in the river and there's just bodies. Yeah. And they're all swollen up and it's all really grim. We don't really see too much of that. 
No. Not during the tsunami. There's one or two bodies floating around. Yeah, it, it seems quite... A dead dog. It seems sort of held back. It's interesting. Just, yeah, just as a... I don't know whether they're trying to be sensitive at the same time or telling the story. I'm sure they were. Yeah. Because it was quite sensitive. But, yeah, no, just a, just a thought. No, it's true. Um, so they end up uh, managing to find some dry land and they, they end up saving a small boy, Daniel... Maria and Lucas are having an argument. Maria hears Daniel's crying from the distance and her maternal instinct automatically kicks in. She wants to save this child. And uh, Lucas wants desperately to get up the tree as soon as possible in case another wave comes. There's a bit of an interesting arc developing there where uh, Maria is the doctor. Mm. Lucas just wants to survive. Quite aggressively so. Um, But she wants to help people. And there's kind of a beginning of an arc there where Lucas starts thinking about more than just himself. Interesting. That's actually, to get that kind of character development into a story like this... That is true. That's quite a good achievement. Um, but yes, yeah, so we see as uh, as time goes on that um, Maria and Lucas end up in a hospital, having been saved by locals, which is really interesting, mm. dragged by non-English speaking uh, natives who presumably lost just as much, if not more, than anyone else. Um and they force them through the hospital doors and slam her on a table. Yeah, no, really interesting. Really broader than I expected, I that kind that, of stuff. Yeah, that struck me really hard, made me think a lot, actually. Like, as soon as this nightmare is happening, people are automatically, everyone is like, right, if I'm okay to help, how can I help? Well, yes. Everyone was on it. Everyone was in the hospitals, uh, like, carrying bodies in, looking after people, volunteers. So that was really, like, quite special. Well, that's... If I had one complaint as I was watching The Impossible, I I think I said a couple of times, it just felt a bit like, oh, look at this privileged white family, oh no, their holiday's ruined, blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, oh, everything gets back, you know, let's get them back together and save the day, and it was all a bit like, eh. However, a lot of critics said the same thing when the film came out. They said that it was a bit too whitewashed, it was a bit too centric on this family. But apparently, people then wrote into places like this saying that this was the most accurate depiction. Like, survivors of the tsunami. The reason it's so accurate is because while the film is following a privileged white family, it was about the community that built around it. Right. So the natives helping, the the different nationalities of all the different tourists and people on holiday, just working together to try and help each other for the Mm. most part. That was one of the most accurate things. It's interesting from a from a film perspective, it felt a little bit too narrow-minded, I thought, while watching mm. it. But it is all there, and it is really interesting kind of piecing that together and telling the broader story, because there's a bit when the natives bring Maria into the hospital, because she's badly hurt. She's got a bit of her leg is flapping off. It's awful. Mm. Um, and Luke is trying to say thank you, and they just walk past. Yeah, you're like oh oh yeah oh thanks guys yeah there's, interesting. Uh, there's another moment I think which I mean there's I it almost got me going a couple of times it almost got me getting watery eyed. Oh me there's too. One, there's one bit where which is really really like gut wrenching is when Ewan McGregor's sat with all the uh, other tourists and the guy who has lost his wife and his daughter digs his phone out and oh, says yeah. make a phone call. Oh god. And he calls either his mum or his stepmom and says, tries to tell him, you know, it's me, just me, 
and two of the other boys have sent him away. I cannot find Maria. I cannot yeah. find Lucas. And he just bursts into tears. He's crying as he can't even speak. And he's like, he's completely inconsolable. He gives the phone back. And then the other guy's like, you can't leave it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, even though the guy's got no battery left, he's got hardly any battery. He forces him to make the phone call again, just to say, all right, get, your, get yourself together. Mm. I'm going to try and find my family. And that was such a powerful moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That got me as well. There's something about a good, well, it's just grown men crying. It always sets yeah. me off. Ewan McGregor is incredible in this. Because that's what the, most of the story then becomes the family trying to find each other again. Mm. So you've got Maria and Lucas in the hospital. Um, you've got Henry, Ewan McGregor, um, with the two younger boys. The two younger boys get sent away. Ewan McGregor's trying to find the other members of the family. Um and it becomes quite frustrating towards the end as they keep missing each other. And ah, it's really like, ah, God, just look around. That says something that we were so invested that we were both like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That was so frustrating. Yeah, in a good way. In a good way. In the, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. this film won loads of awards, or at least was nominated for loads of awards, specifically for Naomi Watts. She is incredible in this. Oh, it, she's great. There's something... It, kind of goes through the whole thing where she goes through desperation she goes through survival mode then she's into as she gets weaker she's trying to get lucas to help other people Will you be all right? Come on, Lucas. I'm not going anywhere. That almost dropped me as well when yeah. he's going around helping people oh, find other members God, of the family. Yeah. She, well, her doctor instincts kicked in. Like, yeah, all the way through. Even when she realizes she's the patient, she's like, "Okay, I need to stay rational. What can I do? I know my son can help. He's able-bodied. Just send him off." And yeah, uh, his son is successful in reuniting a father and son, which is a wonderful moment. Mm. Um, yeah, and all through the end, and she's asking him to keep checking on her leg. And there's a moment where he lifts it up, and she asks, is it black? Mm. And she, he says, no, it's red. And you think, well... Yeah, liar. Liar. <laughs> but yeah, wow. And you've got, the, obviously, the kids on the car. They've been taken away, and ugh, yeah, mental. There's a lot of different perspectives and different like arcs in this story, which go well, really, together. It's, it's actually... The fact it's based on a real family is great. I think if you were to tell the story without that being a real family, you'd probably do the same thing anyway. Because mm. you're seeing all different perspectives. You're seeing the kids being carted off. You've got the older kids trying to try and help, but not really old enough to do anything. You've got the injured person, patient in the hospital, and then you've got the survivor tracking people down. Mm. The whole thing's there. The whole story's told. And it's... It is quite delicate, and I think it is... Because it was full of people who survived the actual thing. So, yeah. Really, really impressive film. Yeah, fantastic. So, really good. I'm surprised I haven't watched it before now, to be honest. Mm. But yes. So, Storm Brendan, not as bad as it seems. Not as bad as it seems. I think you, you got, when, you, when I watched this just now, I was thinking, we are... Well, Amber has been on this week, hasn't he? He's been saying how we are in full knowledge of what we're doing to this planet. Obviously, this tsunami was probably the result of an earthquake, I assume. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, but things like this are going to happen more and more and more. 
And we're not doing anything about it. We're just making it worse. So, you know, it does make you think when you look at this film and seeing all the people that are struggling, um, you know, the poor people, the villagers, they're the people who get affected by this chaos that we're creating. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it is poignant, especially now. Yes, it feels like this is uh, 2004. I mean, it's not that long ago. It's mm. when stuff like this is going to only... This was significant at the time, and especially because of the humanitarian aid that was pumped in to support the area. That probably because it was at Christmas time more than anything else. But that shows what we can do as one sort of community. So, yeah, mm. get, our, get our act together. Just sort it out. Sort it out. Hot diggity dog! It's Scream Bucket with Adam and Raul. Sadly, I was quite young when Resident Evil 2 came out. The year was 1998 and I was 9 years old. The only memory I have of playing a Resident Evil game was in fact the second one, and I remember sitting with my best mate playing on her brother's PlayStation, trying to work out what the hell we were supposed to do. I remember being scared, finding the controls incredibly confusing, and we didn't even make it into the police station. And that kind of moulded my entire opinion of the Resident Evil series from then on. The next time I would play it would be Resident Evil 7, with that new engine and particularly brilliant hijacking of the PT model that was good enough to get me slightly interested. Still, I didn't play the whole of it, mainly because I didn't really get what I was supposed to be doing. I mean, I had never really played a Resident Evil game after all. Then comes the Resident Evil 1 remaster, and... I played it all the way through. Didn't think it was incredible, but then again it was still a relatively old game, just remastered. Then comes Resident Evil 2 Remake. With the hype that surrounded it and the old school demo that hooked me before I even played the game as a whole. I was given one tip before I started it though, from my girlfriend's dad. He said keep a pen and some paper at hand, and I thought, really? It's about two hours in when I had filled several pages with nonsense scribbles and diagrams that I understood why. This may not seem like a fun game, pen and paper, why would I want to write things down when playing a game in 2019? Well, if you've played it, you'll understand it. Puzzle games have been few and far between this generation. There's been the occasional shining light out there, such as The Witness or moments in Tomb Raider or Uncharted, but there is one game that stands head and shoulders above the rest, and that is the Resident Evil 2 remake. In 2019, Resident Evil 2? Not only is it a great puzzle game, but the horror side of it is perfectly paced, from creeping around corridors trying to avoid liquors, to running frantically whilst audibly screaming as Mr X thumps his menacing feet towards you. And Mr X really is the highlight of this game, a character that hunts you endlessly around Raccoon City Police Department, ploughing through walls in front of you, hiding around corners, or just stomping around with an ever-present drumbeat of impending doom. This game is alien isolation on steroids, and it looks incredible. From your torch lighting up little dust particles and incredibly detailed cracks in the walls, to the disturbingly realistic dripping flesh of an ex-police officer as you lift his head to reveal his jaw has been torn from his face. Honestly, this is the first time a game has actually made me feel slightly queasy. 
The story is also surprisingly good, drip feeding you information and plot points as you go along, keeping me intrigued enough to effectively play through the game again from the other character's perspective. Three years ago, if you had asked me if I was excited for the next Resident Evil game, I'd have probably shrugged apathetically. Now, I've played Resident Evil 7, the Resident Evil Remaster, and the Resident Evil 2 Remake, and I could not be more excited for the Resident Evil 3 Remake coming out this year. Well done, Capcom. Well done. Oh, oh hello, hello. Buenas noches, eh? <coughs> Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnight. The Walt Disney Company has dropped Fox from its 20th century and searchlight logos after its acquisition last March for $71.3 billion. Disney appears to have big plans regarding the integration of the 20th century and its sister studio Searchlight, as well as the associated properties. In a wake of less than successful films since the merger, Disney has devised plans to reboot a handful of well-known Fox franchises in order to start fresh. What do you think? What? Yeah, I don't care. There's a lot of numbers in that. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I like that the Fox is out in a way, because Fox is kind of easy, isn't it? Fox is dirty and evil. Fox is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So Disney might be a big monopoly on film, but... Fox, no, no, we don't like Fox. We do don't we? like Fox. So, um, I mean, it gives. Well, 20th Century was a company before it merged with Fox. So it's nice to see 20th Century. Hopefully, they'll go back to that logo. Yeah. Search like, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just Disney. Of course, they're going to make loads of money from Disney Plus, mainly because of The Simpsons being on there. Yeah. After they bought Fox out. So, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's good. Uh, moving on. Um, National Treasure 3 is in the works. Did you like the National Treasure movies? National Treasure movies are brilliant. They're very good. They're very enjoyable. They're fantastic. Weirdly good. Why are they good? What? Because they got Nicolas Cage in. Yes, true, true, true. Yeah, no, really good fun films. Also, who's the woman in it? Oh, she um, also plays the German in Glorious yes. Bastards. Yeah. She's also She's really absolutely good. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Disney are working on the third entry to the series, which features Nicolas Cage and his chums on an international hunt for more treasure. But why? I mean, they're good, but that was a long time ago. I, I'm i happy for this to come back. Make new stuff. But Nicolas Cage hunting treasure. <sighs> Nicolas Cage hunting treasure. Yeah, I guess. It's, ri- it's going to be written by the screenwriter behind the new Bad Boys film. So now I can't really, we can't really moan about bad boys, because this is like the white person's bad boys, isn't it? <laughs> is it? Hunting treasure, hunting treasure, <laughs> stealing from natives, stealing from natives. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a ter- it's a terrible comparison. But yeah, I see. Whatever. Yeah, I'm happy that National Treasure's coming back. I really All like right. the first two. All right. Um, Maybe he's gonna fight ISIS and that'd take be statues before they smash them. Yeah. Um, Child's Play is getting its own TV series. Yay! And we're getting the original creators Don Mancini and David Kirshner back on board. Yeah, so this has been in talks for a while. Uh, but now it's been bought by Sci-Fi. Yes. They've ordered it. Yeah. That's great. Because Don Mancini famously wasn't happy about the remake film. No. Even though it's really good. 
I guess it's because it's his baby, isn't it? Yeah, Maybe it's like, how dare you take my thing and do something Especially else since it. it was still going. It's not like he dropped it, but yes. yeah. No, I'm looking forward to that. They Well, they've, a little premise has leaked. It says a vintage Chucky doll is found at a yard sale and the inevitable murdering that ensues terrorises an idyllic American town while exposing its hypocrisies and secrets. Oh. Several characters from Chucky's past, friends and foes alike, <sighs> show up. Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly. Yes, please. Show up to expose the truth of the killings, unwinding the secrets of Chucky's origins in the process. Chucky's always stuck to its fan favourites, with um, obviously Chucky's yeah. bride coming back, things like that. It'd be interesting to see what level it's aimed at, because it got silly. Yeah. Then it started getting less silly. And then it became like really self-aware. Yeah. It? So it'd be interesting to see at what point, what scale of horror to comedy it's going to be at. Yeah. Sounds like it's Sounds like it's going to be Fargo-y. If it's about the town. That'd be good. And all the hypocrisy. I'd like maybe Chucky to have like an arc where he maybe... He's on the good side for a while. Maybe exposes a few scandals. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like he kills the baddies and then exposes the the truth. I've got a good side! Taika Waititi has been approached by Lucasfilm to develop a Star Wars feature project, if the rumours are to be believed. Lucasfilm or Disney? Lucasfilm. Oh. Um, the Hollywood Reporter said that uh, Kiwi film ex- extraordinaire Waititi has been approached by Lucasfilm to join the franchise that recently wrapped up its third film trilogy with the release of The Rise of Skywalker, which mm. was all right. Um, but yeah, this kind of shuts down... If it's true, the rumours that they're going to actually try and force out yet another trilogy after this. Well... For the time being. Yeah, that keeps going back and forth. I think they're avoiding big things like a trilogy. But yeah. more solo films would be awesome. I know Taika Waititi's been involved in The Mandalorian. That's really cool. Um, I know he's directed a couple episodes and he's cast in it. Mm. So, I mean, if we're going to see more of that kind of adventurous stuff that's going to be quite cool yeah Taika Waititi I mean if he can make a film about a Hitler youth boy make you laugh out loud and cry he's the right man for something like this yeah definitely if if anyone can do it justice he can and finally Simpsons actor Hank Azaria has said that he will no longer voice Apu the decision comes after racism allegations concerning the beloved character there is all I know there is I won't be doing the voice anymore unless there's some way to transition it or something as Aria said according to Slash Film we all made the decision together we all agreed on it we all feel like it's the right thing and they feel good about it right pretend The Simpsons just end I think it's about time because rather than just acting characters that are no longer no longer fit in the modern society just get rid of the show because well, no does- one cares about The Simpsons anymore no. <laughs> Do they? No, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think... Um, well, maybe this is a sign that The Simpsons doesn't fit in the modern day anymore. Well, that's what I mean. That's you what know, I mean. Like, it's, not, it's, it's not that there's one character that might be a little bit stereotypical. I, I, in fact, I don't think there's an issue with the character. It's just the voice, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's the it's the quickie mark. It's very much um, a negative stereotype, isn't it? To, but he's one of the nicest characters, isn't he? He, he is. He is. But I think... A lot of people think that um, non-Indian people are laughing at him. Yeah. But you know, like the thing is, I remember there's when this first got out. When this first got out, the story, um, there were a lot of people who 
Asian Americans, Asians generally, who actually, Apu was the only time they were seeing their culture on TV. Right. So it's actually quite a positive stereotype. Although I suppose that was at the time, and as the time's gone on. People have got people more have, sensitive. People have changed, yeah. Well, not even that. People have just become like, yeah, okay, now let's have something else. I think you're right. I think if these... It's not something new. It's something that's been going on for ages, and it is widely known that the quality of the show and the humour has gone from it. Like, it's not the classic stuff it used to be. I think they just do need... <laughs> Just it, need, it just needs to die. It just needs because where does it end? I, fair enough, that's that's more sensitive. Um, but you've also got Chief Wiggum, fat donut piggy police officer. Yeah, groundskeeper Willie said earlier. Yep, the Scottish stereotype. You've got loads of stereotypes because it's a cartoon. Mm. Uh, where does it end? Yeah, I think. I mean, if they said they were going to wrap it up with like a, it's a six-episode miniseries or something, you know what? I would watch it because I, you know, it's. It was a glorious part of everyone's life growing up. I, yeah, yeah. I would love to see see how they end it. I'd be very interested. Cultural in milestone. It they is. should end it with guns. Guns. Yeah. It's a shootout in the church. End it with a Halloween special. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Was it real? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Or maybe it, if Trump gets in again, which he probably will, mm. just end it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's over. Right, uh, that so concludes Fortnite Schmortnight. Adam's Film Reviews. Bombshell, 2019. You have to adopt the mentality of an Irish street cop. The world is a bad place. People are lazy morons. Minorities are criminals. Sex is sick but interesting. Ask yourself what would scare my grandmother or piss off my grandfather. And that's a Fox story. Oh, it makes so much sense. Women are everywhere. We're letting them play golf and tennis now. HR's on the phone because you called me a skirt. Yeah, Yeah. I gotta read that manual again. (laughs) The attitude off camera was even worse. You're a man-hater. Learn to get along with the boys. You're sexy, but you're too much work. I have a whole list. Will other women come forward? You may have heard there was a dust-up involving yours truly and presidential contender Donald Trump. There was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. Oh my God, did he just accuse me of anger menstruating? Wait, am I going to be the story? No. No. I'm going to be the story. No. No. Nobody stops watching because of a conflict. They stop watching when there isn't one. A biographical drama, Bombshell retells the story of a number of women at Fox News setting out to dethrone the then-CEO, Roger Ailes, for sexual harassment in the shadow of the Trump campaign, a story ripped from the headlines in 2016. Bombshell stars Charlize Theron as news anchor Megyn Kelly, Nicole Kidman as television personality Gretchen Carlson, and Margot Robbie as Kayla Pospisil? Pospisil. Pospisil? A fictional composite character taken from multiple real-life women and... Frankly, it's impeccable casting. John Lithgow plays Roger Ailes, and frankly, you can't get much better than that. But let's crack on. And bear with me, because this might get confusing. Fox News, the Republican-loving American news channel, is led by veteran television mogul Roger Ailes. While he works for Rupert Murdoch and his sons, Ailes is king of the newsroom. His policies for hiring attractive women to read and debate the news is credited with the ongoing success and ratings of the station, as is his policy for showing off the legs of his newscasters. As they state in the film, they don't give newsreaders glass tables for nothing. 
Then there's Megan Kelly. Megan is a woman at the head of her game, a news anchor, lawyer, and television personality who is thrust into the headlines when she confronts the then presidential candidate, Donald Trump. She's staunchly defended by Ailes at the time, but is desperate to get herself out of the spotlight. Gretchen Carlson, meanwhile, is running out of popularity. Foundation of the mega-popular Fox and Friends show, Gretchen built a reputation for not playing along with the gross and sexist behaviour of her fellow presenters and is branded as difficult to work with. Eventually, Gretchen is fired from Fox News and launches a lawsuit against Ailes, accusing him of sexual harassment. This occurs as Taylor, a young and eager new recruit, is herself targeted by Ailes. In an attempt to get herself a better job, Kayla approaches Ailes and we see his attitude to new attractive staff firsthand. While we only see the tip of the iceberg, it's clear that Ailes and Kayla have more than just one liaison, right under the noses of her friends and co-workers, who turned a blind eye. As Gretchen's lawsuit goes public, despite Gretchen's beliefs, no other women come forward. In fact, internal campaigns for support of Ailes start up, led by Ailes himself, who even leaks that some of the anchors are willing to walk if he got fired, something that he completely made up to defend his reputation. But will Gretchen's lawsuit go forward, or will the women and indeed men of Fox News support Ailes, or will the truth eventually be revealed? It can't be denied that Bombshell has lofty goals. It wants to be Spotlight or Vice so bad. There's no reason it shouldn't be either. Director Jay Roach was also behind 2015's Holly Commie biopic Trumbo, after all. But despite good intentions, Bombshell feels constrained, like it's holding back and only showing us the surface level intrigue. Fair enough, the film was about sexual harassment suit filed against Roger Ailes, and that's what we see. But what isn't being said is the endemic sexism rife through the media industry, particularly in right-wing scumsville Fox News. See, what Black Klansman did and what Vice did was leave me walking away thinking about what's going on now, right now. And it was horrifying. Bombshell has too much of an ending, it's too resolved. Well, the truth is, there's a lot more work that has to be done and still a lot more voices that need to be heard. Charlize Theron is the linchpin that holds this film together. Her portrayal as Megyn Kelly is infinitely watchable as this strong woman finds her path, digs in her heels and does what she thinks is best. Margot Robbie is just incredible. We feel every moment, every horror that Taylor goes through and Margot's strength is absolutely in her ability to show what she's feeling. Nicole Kidman does what she can, but Gretchen's primarily just the catalyst to the plot. She spends 90% of the time on the sidelines just doing things. Eh. There was a lot more we could have seen from her, but while the cast did what they could, the characters remain fairly two-dimensional. Only the merest mentions of the slightly dodgy opinions held by the main characters slip through the net. But the story is about sexual harassment, so that's where we remain. Fair enough. Bombshell deserves much of the praise it has received, but while it's true that it's a story that needs telling, it could have been told better. I think this is a film that needed a writer or director that was involved directly in the Me Too movement, and as I say, this was a film that had the opportunity to shine a light on much more than just the immediate story. It just didn't. Watch Bombshell for the performances. See it for what it is. But don't expect the world to shatter from it. Ready to go to war? Oh, yeah. Adam, we've watched some trailers. Trailers?
Yeah, so um, the first on our list, um, I had never heard of until we watched 1917, and it is Dark Water. Dark Water, Mark yes. Ruffalo plays a defence attorney for naughty, naughty chemical companies that I, I'm guessing he's normally fighting their corner and helping them, them get away with stuff. He goes back to his hometown, speaks to a farmer... And he finds out that there's a chemical company doing this exact thing. He's, they're poisoning the water, animals are dying, people are getting sick. And he uncovers a conspiracy. Yes, they've been releasing toxic chemicals into the water supply in the local area for, what, 60 years, it says in the trailer? Yeah. Yeah, uh, pretty grim, and it's kind of real as well. There's comments under the trailer about... People who live in the area and whose grandparents died at age 60 and they all work there. and Yeah. No way. So it's actually based on the real place and a real event to that extent. I don't know specifically if it's about a real thing rather than a real... Uh, sort of this sort of thing has happened before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Basically, it's not just him uncovering it. There's kind of this thing going on that the chemical company, they're so powerful, they've got such big ties to the government that they notice and they start tracking him. He starts getting paranoid. They're trying to assassinate him. People are following him. Yeah, there's one bit in the trailer which is absolutely terrifying. He's trying to find his car mm. and he realises that he's the only car left and he's being watched and Ugh. he sort of puts the key in the ignition. Yeah, Really, really intense. Really looking forward to this one. Yeah, very, very good. You want to take everything that you know and turn it against an iconic American company like an informant. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Yes. What was the next one? The next one was a film that completely went under the radar. I didn't notice at all until it just popped up one day. And it looks like the best film ever. Underwater. Underwater starring Kristen Stewart. Yes. Um... Alien vibes. Oh, it's just alien. It's just yeah. alien, but it's underwater. Aliens in the sea. But it looks incredible. So there's a, a bunch of deep water... Well, are they mining people? I, yeah, I don't know what Some they're doing. Some sort of undersea exploration people. Something to do with mining, anyway. Um, and they start realising that something's coming up. On a scale from 1 to 10, how bad's my rig? 10... Drilled to the bottom of the ocean, and we don't know what came out. There were so many sci-fi horror tropes in the trailer, which, and I, I didn't even mind. I, in fact, I quite liked it. Like, yeah, me too. You've got the quirky, weird nerd who like plays music, and he's like a bit of sort of inappropriate sometimes. Yeah, you've got the claustrophobic uh, working environment, like the Nostromo. Yeah, um, even you know the computers look a bit crap, and even though it's presumably in the future, they're spacesuit underwater spacesuits yeah straight out of alien straight out of alien Kirsten Stewart herself looks like a dead ringer for Ripley um in alien 3 is that when the hair comes off yes or even Winona Ryder in alien 4 but Mm. yes no yeah there's there's something going on there and it looks really good so I'm looking forward to that coming out in February yes it's really good then we had Guns Akimbo Guns Akimbo this looks awesome it looks so good. Um, I will always have a soft spot for Daniel Radcliffe, no matter what anyone says about his acting. But he gets guns nailed to his hands. <laughs> yeah, so there's some, some sort of future snuff porn underground thing where they make people fight and film it on, on the internet. Yes. This guy, Schism. Mm. Schism. Another schism. 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 Schism picked random psychos, weirdos, and criminals and made them fight each other to the death. So the internet walked it. 
And then I came into the picture. And yeah, and so the, Daniel Radcliffe, a, a working everyday loser, wakes up one day with guns bolted to his hands. And he's in the game. He's in the game. And you're absolutely right in drawing uh, similarities to Happy. Yes. As we mentioned earlier, Happy initially was quite fun and anarchic and chaotic. This looks like Happy. It does. It looks like the good Happy. Down to the fact that the protagonist is a very bedraggled, sort of dirty-looking, yeah. dressing gown-wearing sort of loser. It sort of reminded me of Dirk Gently as well. Yeah. Dirk Gently, the American version the, the uh, with Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, is that Elijah Wood? Elijah Wood. You did the thing. You got yeah, them mixed up. They, you, look, you did they the look so similar. Everyone does that. <laughs> but yes, it looks so similar. Really like the look of it. Also, Samara Weaving, who I've said before, she's great. Yep. Although she looks really weird. She does it really, really weird. In yeah. This. She looks a bit like... Who's the South African woman who was in Chappie? She's a singer and she does really horrible music. Oh, Diane Word. Uh, yes, the girl yes. from Diane Word. Yeah. Mm. She looks like her. Aye, aye, aye. You give me a butterfly. <laughs> I need your seduction. But they look the same. They look the same face. Anyway, yeah. Really, really looking forward to Guns Kimbo. Uh, then we got one that I kept seeing references to but never really knew what it was. The rhythm section. It does look good. This is Blake Lively and Jude Law. Blake Lively... It's, it's like a revenge film, I think. She loses family in a plane bomb. Yeah. And um, she doesn't just rest on her laurels. She decides, wait, no one's getting accused of this crime. No one's getting charged. So she takes it upon herself to track down whoever's organised well, it. It looks like she goes mad and sort of lives on the streets and gets more like deranged as time goes on. Yeah, and she then, uses her sexuality to kind of ensnare people as well. Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got the works. Yeah, it's got everything. And we all love a bit of Jude Law. Uh, and Blake Lively. Mm, mm. Definitely. Oh, and also, uh, the song is haunting. Mm. Margot, Margot. It is very haunting. Especially this version of it. Yeah, lovely. Love it. Love it. much more human than I thought you'd be. Then it's a good disguise. And then finally, we have one that I pushed on you. Tell me about Brahms. So it's The, the Boy 2. Yeah, it's, so the title was Brahms, The Boy 2. So we're off to a bad start. That <laughs> is a terrible name for a film. So there was a boy, The Boy 1 I haven't seen. Um, the, the Boy 1, if I remember rightly, a mad old couple... Pay for someone to babysit the boy, right. which is a doll. Okay. Then they kill themselves. Right. And then the woman who's left is like, what, what's going on? And she babysits. Then there's a boy in the walls. There's a boy in the walls. In okay. the walls. Very different vibe from this one. No, this, this one, I mean, there's been several amalgamations of this plot, over, especially over the past decade and a half. Um, family moves to new house. Child finds doll. Can I? What is that trope about? I don't know. Where there's a boy or there's a kid who needs some sort of therapy. Yeah. And they get the parents get told maybe a change of scenery will help. So they move house by a giant mansion. An isolate, I yeah, isolated mansion in the middle what? of nowhere. Big, like it needs work. Why is that a trope? That seems so weird and specific it's very specific why do it again and again and again and it has been done to death yeah yeah it's really weird Uh, yeah Mm. but yeah this kid digs up a doll 
its eyes start moving. <laughs> um, it's being, you know, people are getting freaked out. It makes a kid get impaled on a stick like Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Which is actually, I screamed at during yeah, the trailer. Yeah. I was like, no! Well, that's, that's the thing. I think the trailer is quite good. It's quite effective until the end. Oh, God, yeah. When it's laugh out loud funny. So there's um, a scene in The Mummy where <laughs> um, Himotep opens his mouth and loads of flies come out. And, um, well, the little doll just Himotep's uh, Katie Holmes. It's <laughs> basically what happens. Yeah. <sighs> But, oh, that was another good thing about the trailer. There's, you're waiting for a jump scare, and then the person you're expecting to be scared initiates the jump. Katie Holmes is yeah. leaning towards the doll, and then she goes, ah, that's that, a, that was good. The trailer's pretty well made. It's just... That. It's just the ending. It's just really bad. The bloody Himotep scene. I don't know. Maybe it's worth watching the boy just to watch this one. I feel like they're going to be completely different. It's the Annabelle thing, isn't it? Yeah. There seems just these doll films, just random jumble of stuff yes anyway but yes which which of those films are you most excited for um i would say out of those ones guns akimbo mm. um or maybe underwater actually yeah Under- but underwater's ticking a lot of boxes for me um having said that we went on a little uh journey after because we became curious about guns akimbo and who directed it we found um he's a new zealand mm-hmm. chap and on our little journey we've came across another film named Deathgasm. so now we're off to a good start yeah that, well this is it so this it's a great name directed and written by jason lee howden new zealand guy he's the guy who did guns akimbo he does everything we love, apparently. Everything we love. So we need to track this guy down. Deathgasm's about a metal band made of nerds discovering that demons do actually live in heavy metal music. But this is a this is a film I've always wanted to make myself. I'm almost annoyed it's been. Well, I can do it bigger with more budget when we're rich. But I like the Brutal Legend. Did you ever play Brutal Legend? Yes. yes. So voiced by Jack Black. It's about um, it's a game based on album covers like metal is real the, the, the things you see on the album covers there is a world where that exists and in this film it's very much you know there's uh, scenes where there are rock viking maidens on top of mountains <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. wielding guitars which and, is in the trailer for Deathgasm yeah no, that's what I mean <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's oh, it looks so good and it has very um, bad tasty brain dead kind of effects in it well there's an evil dead sequence there's at the evil end evil dead sequence the yeah. Crash zooms. We need to, this is it's on Amazon Prime. You have to pay for it, but we'll uh, we'll yeah we'll have to come back. To Why? This How New Zealand is absolutely smashing it film wise at the moment, isn't it? Because you've got Taika Waititi just come out, and now you've got who's going to go down in history probably in years to come as a great like you know legendary director. Do you reckon Peter Jackson after Lord of the Rings invested in local film schools? I and think stuff? so. There must because of the tourism and all of that yeah. money. So much of that must be going directly back into the because every, everything made in New Zealand, which is a lot, a lot of Hollywood stuff, um, because apparently the lights really good. Uh, they always have a stipulation that there has to be so many local actors. That's oh. why in Ash vs the Evil Dead, at the end of the first series, Samara Weaving and a bunch of Australian backpackers just turn up. Yeah, amazing. Because they had to have so many local actors in it. So stuff like that, though, that means that New Zealand's not a massive place. Percentage of the cast has to be local. So they have to pull people from the local industries mm. 
So it's like they're all well, they're all getting more and more experienced. Well, that's they? it. So it's like this. It's like this uh, almost like academy style building up the local community. It's amazing. It really is. And yeah, an amazing. It is an amazing. I have been to New Zealand, and you could film just about anything there. It's such an astonishing country. But yeah, I wonder. Can you trace? How much of cinema now can you trace back to Peter Jackson deciding to make a really weird film about aliens? <laughs> I mean, well, what, yes. has that, what has that given us since Lord of the Rings? Mm. Um, Thor Ragnarok is now here. I wonder how, what Taika, Taika Waititi's path, if that had been influenced by the influx of Oh, without a doubt. With uh, what we do in the shadows, that was a few steps away from Peter Jackson. So, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I better get on and carry on editing again, I suppose. God, yeah, what a week you've had. I've come in at various moments seeing you experimenting with effects. Um, you came up with a beautiful title. Oh, um, yeah. I which, forgot about that. That felt like years ago. Yeah, that's absolutely stunning. Um, it's we, been a... So, the assembly edit for Quaggers was done a while ago. We've since done extra footage, extra filming, which I've been putting off. Because now, now I've done all the fiddly bits. Yeah. Most of this week has been doing fiddly bits, and I kind of hate it. You can see why so many films have huge long lists of After Effects artists, because it takes so much time. It's mad. It's really mad. I do feel for you. So I mentioned earlier that, like, keying out things and drawing paths around parts of the body and then animating them, so doing it for each frame. It's mind-numbing. It's quite easy, but it's mind-numbing work. Um... I've also had to do that for stuff in the background that I couldn't key light out. One of the best things, though, was um, there's a sequence where we wanted something... Uh, I can't I don't want to give it away. A special effects shot that we did practical in on the set, um, but it didn't come out as well as hoped. So I boosted it up. I boosted it up by getting a green screen up in the shower, getting Josh to mix up some blood, and then pour it out of a bucket, and then film the flow... It's genius. Cut the flow out, pop it on the video, then keyframe it so it matches the mouth and goes smaller and more blurry as it goes further away. And it looks amazing. It looks fantastic. It looks genuinely real. And yeah, once it's colour graded as well, it'll let you blend in even more. It's fantastic. I've completely turned myself around on green screen. I think it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Because there's other stuff now I'm thinking, we could have green screened that. Uh... There's one sequence uh, where I've, I've added blood at the bottom of the screen to splash up right it looks okay but i am wondering if it look better if we just get the green screen up yeah but this is the thing where does it end yeah maybe you've got to draw a line somewhere like i i can i'm starting to forgive george lucas a bit <laughs> having now used green screen and known the wonders it can do well but at the same time it had to be practical mm. it couldn't have been a hundred percent digital no 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 definitely not um it, I mean, we we experimented with um, the the flesh explosion, which I mean look, could look like a gunshot wound as well. Oh yeah, that looked bad. Thing, which looked bad, but it looked bad in a good way for certain projects. So there's, it can definitely be used. Yeah. In the future, if we're doing something that's deliberately a bit cheap. Yeah. But I think uh, yeah, we'd have to sort of. I think with stuff like green screen and, and After Effects and stuff, I think you have to 
match the style. Yeah. So if you go into it knowing you're going to do that, then it's fine. Yeah. If you mix a match, yeah, it's a bit weird. Um, that said, we've got some non-practical stuff also in the film now. Mm. Some look better than others. Go on. CGI asteroids. Oh, yes. Earth. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff that I've just, just, you just have to pull it in. There's so many resources online, though. It's quite mad. Yeah, there's stuff, I mean... In my opinion, what it's done to the film is taking it up to the level of, oh, I could watch maybe this on the sci-fi channel or something. <laughs> yeah. In terms of these, especially the asteroids and stuff, and there's, there may be an explosion somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah, it looks the, the the good kind of movie cheese, I think. Yeah, I think so. But the, the yeah, the title, I'm very impressed with the title. Yeah. That's... Especially with some lovely music. It's very cool. Yeah, so the uh, the edits coming together, it's basically done now. Yeah. Um, just going to get it colour graded, which will take about a week, I suppose. But then sound edit's going to be interesting as well. 90% of this film's going to be sound. Yeah. So that's going to be a big project. But then when that's done, we have to take it to the BBFC. Yeah, so um, this was very confusing. I went on the website and I found a place which said it was going to cost us around £114. Adam went, you went to a different path. To, cl- to clarify, BBFC, to get it rated, so if it's a 15, an 18, yeah. 12A, whatever, BBFC are the people who do that, so yes. You discovered that, that actually it's going to cost us... Around three, £300. Uh, pounds. £300, pounds, um, which was a bit of a shock. So we now have to pull some extra dough out of yeah. wherever we can, whatever orifice we can pull it from, and... Um, get it rated if we want to show it at a cinema um, which we want to do for the premiere yeah um yeah it's just a faff now it's a faff it's very annoying i was just i was um looking for other places to screen it. i mean i'm not going to name them because they hate me for it but there's uh, I, all of the film clubs around this area have websites from 1999 <laughs> it's they're so primitive i couldn't find a bloody phone number and i think they're like the only option was become a member yeah. join us uh, yeah, well, I suppose it's to stay afloat, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. Regardless, we um we are actively discussing whens and wheres of when this film will be. If you're um, listening, as it happens, and happen to own a screen or a space to screen a film, do let us know because mm. that'd be awesome. You can email uh email, you can email me at adam at hollowdalemedia if you have got anything in mind or know someone who might know something. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a it's a growing, ever growing challenge. Yes, but this is stuff that we it's actually really useful knowing. It's very useful knowing because there's a lot of um, a lot of books, a lot of seminars, a lot of workshops. A lot of people recommend showing your film properly, right? Because it's what, however good the film's going to be, it's a it's a good bit of punctuation. It's a bullet point. It's a full stop saying done. Yeah, that's done. That's you get finished. all the cast, the crew, family, friends, anyone who's put money into it, get them all together and say, "Look, we've done something." Here it is, and it's like uh, Don White's my name, Edward. It's that like final. Oh, yeah, we it get- worked. Or oh god, <laughs> well the next one would be better. <laughs> uh, there's going to be one moment of true joy and it's going to be when we screen it at wherever we screen it for the first time and it's going to be brilliant i can't wait it is that that exact moment you're talking about of we have completed this film yeah we need to get a limo and turn up and see all the crowds yeah <laughs> do a little wave sign a few autographs and head in maybe only three or four autographs 
Well, I'm, well, I'm, yeah, as director, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stay outside, talk jive to the uh, to the kids outside. Right. Watch Dolan Mine is my name. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. So it's it's all coming together. It's all a bit mad, yes. maddening, but you know it's gonna be fun. Yeah, and then we'll start shoving it in festivals after that. Definitely. So yes. Um. Well, before we say our farewells, we have something we need to do. What's that, Robert? Yes. Would you like to fetch a book? Oh no. We must choose the film for the next. I get to choose Stream bucket. I get to choose the, the you choose I get to you find the word and I um I must think of the film. Yeah yeah, yeah. that's why you're getting the book. Ah uh, where's what should I use? eight ghosts. Do that. Alright. So you're choosing the word, you're choosing the film. Okay. But I'll tell you to stop. So we're gonna get we've got a book. Right. Rob's picked up Eight Ghosts. What, what what's that? Eight Ghosts, the English heritage book of new ghost stories. Oh, I didn't know I had that. <laughs> Pretty cool. So uh, Rob's going to go through the book. He's going to flick the pages. I'm going to tell him to stop. Uh, and then tell him to go, it'll go down the line. I'll tell him to stop. And the word he picked, he lands on, the word he lands on will be inspiration for the film we choose. He chooses for the next one. Sweet. Is that clear? Good. Stop. Stop. World famous. All right, world famous. Okay, so don't tell us what you're thinking now. We'll reveal what Rob chooses in the week, and that's two weeks. We'll stick on Instagram. Right, I'm excited about that one. World famous. Ooh, good stuff. Cool. Okay, so yes, follow us on Instagram at Hollowdale Media and follow us on Twitter at Stream underscore Bucket or Hollowdale Media, and we'll reveal the film Rob chooses for a fortnight. I'm all over the place. I'm all of a diver. Alcohol. Right. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, yeah, and tune in for the next episode. Mm, and do follow us on Patreon as well at uh, www.patreon.com slash Media, And you can see behind the scenes and updates and all sorts of fun things. All sorts of fun things. And all money we receive will be poured directly back into our projects. Some of which will be involving maybe even promoting Quaggers. Yes, indeed. Getting it further and further out to more audiences. Yes. So, yes, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in a fortnight. Yeah, see you in a fortnight.